Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Oh man, greetings to you guys on a lovely Mother's Day. Greetings. Happy Mother's Day, all. Yeah. Yes, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Yes. <laughs> hope you enjoyed your brunches. Right. Hope- I think I know a lot of those mothers. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so it feels like this is a, the perfect person to talk about on Mother's Day because Mary Shelley did try. Uh, I mean, she I mean, she had a bunch of kids. A lot of them didn't make it. Yeah, well, be- well that, was, uh, that was, you know, par for the course. Right. In the, during the time period. Yeah, but also part of the, uh, the inspiration or why she might have been interested in Frankenstein. So anyway, greetings to you guys too. I am in the balmy and humid Austin, Texas today. Uh, and it is still 87 degrees at 923. Yeah. That's my kind of weather. Yeah. Sounds lovely. Yes, yeah, so I'm enjoying some sweating. How are things in the Wisco? What am I missing? Nothing. It, actually, it was a really <laughs> nice day today. Oh, good. Good. Yeah, it was overcast. 87 degrees, nice. No, but it was overcast, but it was nice enough to go hiking and not be too sweaty and gross. Yeah, and uh, I heard you saw the Mothman. I did. Well, I saw (laughs) something that could have been confused for the Mothman. He's everywhere. It it was actually some cranes (laughs) flying overhead, but they did have a giant wingspan. Oh, no, no. The Mothman is much more common than Sandhill cranes. (laughs) At least least in our area of Wisconsin, it seems like he shows up all the time. Well, that sounds great. It sounds like summer has finally arrived, and that really does uh, put all of us in a good and exciting mood for a big summer. Uh, and just a quick plug, uh, speaking of fun summer things, if you guys are in the Midwest, make sure you check out American Hauntings in Alton, Illinois, and that's going to be uh, June 22nd to the 24th, and you'll have a chance to hang out with us in person. Uh, so if you're, anywhere, right. if you're anywhere near the Midwest, please check out American Hauntings. You get more information at AmericanHauntings.com. You're going to hear Wendy and I sing you some beautiful songs that we've been writing for the podcast. And uh, Yeah, and I'm going to be presenting. Yeah, so th- uh, this is this is going to be a lot of That's fun. That's awesome. I can't wait. Yeah. I love that event, and I'm looking forward to another year of meeting all kinds of fun and weird <laughs> fellow weirdos and uh, hearing some interesting presentations. And checking yeah. out cool vendor booths and just all the neat events that they do. They do a great job of it. So hope hope and to meet more the, people there the this year. door prizes. I want to <laughs> oh, win the, the door, door prizes. prizes this year. Yes. Come on. Who I'm excited about meeting in person is Robert Damon Schneck, uh, who wrote The Bye Bye Man and who is the historian yes. of the strength. Oh, yeah. And so he's coming so from cool. New York. Yes. And uh, oh, that's going to be Oh, man. I am excited to meet him, too. Right. Because I, I love all his posts. Yeah. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Anyway, I just wanted to put a quick plug in because that means you got... Uh, a few weeks uh, to get yourself ready for that. Now, uh, yeah, start planning. Speaking of speaking of fun sunspot music, we're also on iTunes. And Wendy, has anybody said anything nice about our podcast on iTunes lately? Oh well, it's funny you should ask because it is actually, funny. <laughs> just this week, somebody said something nice in That's iTunes. Nice. Yeah, I, I like that better when they they than when they throw feces. Oh, so much better. So much better. Smells better. Feces thrown at us. 
Uh, but yeah, so under the See You on the Other Side page in iTunes, in the iTunes store, you can leave a review for free. <laughs> Doesn't even cost anything. <laughs> we won't charge you that. to review us. <laughs> and somebody that did that was Mr. Windujati. Oh, hello. Who says... Your posts are always uplifting and inspiring. Thanks for the excellent work. All right. Well, that's very nice. And thank you for taking the time to do that, uh, Win- Windu Jati. And that was a five-star review. So Yay. Yay. Thank, thank you, you, Mr. Windu We appreciate it. Uh, and hopefully that'll help our podcast bubble its way up to the top and get some new listeners ab- who find us through the iTunes Absolutely. search. You guys have made us uh, hit the new and noteworthy list in iTunes at least three times. So we, all, yeah, we wow. always appreciate that kind of support. And of course, we appreciate Very the nice. support of our Patreons, who we hung out with last Wednesday and had a conversation about ghosts in the hood. Mm, that was so fun. And it was a lot of and, fun. And uh, in an exciting twist, one of the stars of Ghost in the Hood actually replied to one of our Patreons' <gasps> Twitter posts. And oh, wow. there's a chance that we will have him either on the show or as a special guest in one of our Hangouts yeah. in the oh, near man, future. that would so. be so awesome. <laughs> yeah, he's totally <laughs> That's into right. So... So stay tuned because there's more developing on that one, but we'll keep everybody posted. You guys can be part of that community, othersidepodcast.com slash donate. But now that the niceties and the plugs are out of the way, uh, we're on the time to get over <laughs> Time to get nasty. Let's talk about somebody with plugs in his neck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> Quite. Quite. Hey, you know, this, this one is near and dear to my heart because um, I think Frankenstein was my favorite of the classic... Like the universal monsters, when you think of the Wolfman, Frankenstein, Dracula. Dracula. Frankenstein was my personal favorite of those. And remember they tried to redo those movies uh, in like the 1990s? We had um, Bram Stoker's Dracula, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Okay, I did like that one. Yeah. I, I gotta say, I, I really enjoyed that one. <laughs> yeah, that was And great. I still do it was to Ke- this day. Keanu was in it too. Vampires. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, and Gary Oldman. I like oh, Gary he, Oldman. I mean, he was and fantastic he, in that movie. He, he was at his, you know, sexy best, I think. <laughs> sexy and, best. And that, and that movie, you know, he had, you know, he had some fashion going on, some colored glasses. He did have colored glasses. I, I dug him. <laughs> uh, I dug it. I, I dug the whole, like, wolf scene. And then they made a Wolfman movie with uh, <laughs> Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Remember that wolf, Jack Nicholson turned into a werewolf? Yeah. Uh, that was a good mm-hmm. one, and th- there's been one more recently too. Yes, the one with uh, Anthony Hopkins and Benicio del Toro, the Wolfman. Yeah. Uh, but my favorite of those movies, and I know it is the most critically derided one. All the critics thought Ooh. it was crap, but I maybe I was just the right age for it. I think I was 17 years old, and I just came out Halloween 1994, and was Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, and directed and starring, uh, who you know. I was in theater, whatever, in high school, and Kenneth Branagh was like a yeah, theater Kenneth hero. Branagh. Yeah, really, he he was. I I love that uh, movie, Dead Again. That's still on my favorites list. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, that was a really imaginative one uh, regarding reincarnation. Yeah, but Kenneth Branagh as as Doctor Frankenstein, Robert De Niro as the creature. Yes, and his mistress, Helena Bonham Carter. Right, and Helena Bonham Carter, <laughs> that homewrecker. She as she's she the, is a home writer. right. She's the one. So what happened was during the filming of the movie. So Kenneth Branagh was married to oh I, Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson. That's right. All classy. They're in Dead Again yeah. together. And um, yeah, I love Emma. Of course, everybody loves Emma Thompson. But uh, 
you know, he goes off on that movie and Helena, you know, he gets an eye with Helena Bonham Carter, who's at her early 90s sultry best. Yeah. And um, then they become a couple and it's all over for Emma Thompson and Kenneth Branagh looks like he just ruined, Aww. I mean, because he did ruin his relationship, let's be real. And then Helena Bonham Carter, that just goes to, you know, she eventually finds Tim Burton and blah, blah, blah. But the whole thing is, I mean, that movie was, I just thought was the perfect storm of romanticism, special effects. Right, and who is the monster in that movie? No, it's Robert De Niro. I know, I, right? Are you burning at me? Are you <laughs> burning that torch of me? So I, I don't do a Robert De Niro. I just don't. I don't have it. Are you pitchforking at me? <laughs> I get it, though. I get where you're going. <laughs> Thank you. And and um, I don't think people realize though that Frankenstein, that the story, the modern Prometheus. That story is is two hundred years old now. This year, yeah, it was it was first published in eighteen eighteen, and that's kind of a holy crap moment, because it it feels very modern. I mean, it doesn't feel modern as in in the two thousand and eighteen, but it feels modern as in a creation of the twentieth century, doesn't it? Because we all have that idea of right, Victor Doctor Frankenstein in the castle. And using electricity and, you know, the great 1931 right. film, he flips the switch. It's alive! It's alive! And he's screaming it. And- I mean, very evocative. And uh, it is, uh, Frankenstein is the first modern horror novel. And it's written by a teenage girl. because, And that is, I think, a startling realization for some people because they're just used to teenage girls being the victims in such movies. <laughs> oh, at least today. Not, not being the creators <laughs> yeah. of, you know, of a, a, a modern horror story that has really persisted and, you know, is even more relevant today, 200 years later. I mean, it's incredible that, you know, somebody could write that. Uh, well, first of all, how smart you, know, you got to be. A story with such staying power. Have you, have you guys read most of the things that like 16-year-old people write? I mean, it doesn't matter if you're a male or a, woman, a man or a woman. Uh, like most of it's crap. You know, the thing is, you you know, I, I'm on the internet. These people have access to the greatest texts of all time in their learning. And half the people dangle their participles all over their sentences. <laughs> 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 but you know what I mean like wow. most of it can't do it and so I mean so let's go back let's let's talk a little bit about Mary Shelley uh, just yeah and her parents too because they, they were a significant influence as well and you know I think people don't realize well you know we'll get to this in a second we'll get to this in a second so you get Mary uh, Wollstonecraft Shelley uh, I'm sorry Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin Shelley so she she took four names is the daughter of Mary Wollstonecraft and um her uh, Mary Wollstonecraft husband William Godwin, and they're both like political radicals in in eighteenth century yeah. uh, in eighteenth century England. Um, Mary Wollstonecraft is like a radical feminist, and and so is yeah. William Godwin. But William Godwin was preaching was a you know leaving of feudalism. You know they were saying that the landed classes, the aristocracy in uh, the United Kingdom in England, uh, that they were oppressive and they were oppressing the common man, the, the you know, the serf. And the yeah. feudalism had to end. Now we're getting by this point, this is 1797 she was born. Uh, you know, we already have the French Revolution. We already had the American Revolution. So these ideas of, you know, the, the, the king not being a representative of the people and stuff like that, that's starting to spread. 
And this is starting to spread in the UK. And so uh, William Gowan is a dangerous author, you know, because he, he's writing about these things. And, and Mary Wollstonecraft is also dangerous because she's saying that women are equal to men. Right? Oh, right. Oh, dear. Yeah, that's, hey, talk about scary. That scares me today in 2018. Yeah. <laughs> and so her parents are really ahead of their time. Yeah, think, think of them as hippies. Think about them as <laughs> think about them as the Keatons in Family Ties. There you go. And and really, I mean, when you look at um, the 1800s, you know, uh, back uh, in you know the the teen years of the 1800s, you know, all the way uh, to you know when spiritualism started, um, 1847. 1848 this was a time period of revolution and so when you look at the 1960s uh you know a lot of the ideas that were we popularly think of as from the 1960s actually came uh from these political radicals in in the 1800s and you know that like free love for example uh yeah. vegetarianism a lot of this stuff has its roots uh, in the 19th century well free love is something that mary shelley certainly practiced um right. okay so so she the thing is her mother mary wollstonecraft dies like 12 days after mary's born and right. then complications her father names her that uh, Mary to be as like a tribute to her mother. And, but the thing is, so he's a writer, he's a political radical. Uh, he's poor. What, what you know, what, uh, did, did you really see that one coming? So he's, yeah. he's <laughs> and, and so he's writing. And so he's got to find himself another wife. Uh, he's got to get himself somebody with some money. And he does, uh, he does get remarried and, he is devoted to his new wife, and which is which is nice because, like, even Mary Wollstonecraft, like, she she had an affair um, with somebody, like, with an American, and it was scandalous. And she she sends the American a, a letter that says, like, I am pregnant with a creature or something like that. And he's like, creature. bye. He's like, I'm out. <sighs> um, and so that's Mary Shelley's stepsister, and he's like, oh, he's, I see. He's like, I'm out. And so, but then Mary Wollstonecraft, uh, she dies. You know, almost immediately after Mary Shelley is born. And then, you know, her father remarries. Mary's got issues with the stepmother. They don't really get along. And um, so Percy Shelley comes by. And Percy Bishop Shelley uh, is a rich guy. You know, he's a couple years older than Mary. And he's a, like a, a wealthy uh, aristocrat, but he's also a political radical. He's an atheist. He doesn't believe in God. And so... He also believes that the institutions must be cast aside. And so he's a radical himself. And so uh, he starts hanging around the house and he says that he's going to pay off some of uh, William Godwin's debts, you know, because this is his political idol. You know, this is somebody that he admires. He's rich. He wants to pay off his debts. He's also uh, spends way too much money and eventually can't pay off the debts. But he's, he, he's promising that. So then they all get to hang out. Well, Percy starts bringing that free love uh, into <laughs> he starts bringing that free love into their home. So, like eighteen fourteen, you know, he's well. The thing is, he's, he's already married too, and he's got a pregnant yep. he's got a pregnant wife. He's hanging out with Mary and her stepsister Claire Claremont, and uh, then he's like, "Yeah, I'm out." And so he just takes <laughs> Mary and Claire 
and they take off and they just start roaming through Europe while his pregnant wife oh, is at home. Man. Pregnant wife kills herself. So that's nice. And when they get back from Europe, they come back to England. Mary's pregnant with Percy's child. So but this is the uh, several children. She would bear Percy over the years and they would pass away. So this is 1816 that they finally get married. And when after Percy's wife kills himself, she's been trying to have a child for him. Um, and then he also got it on with Claire. That's the like, so this is such, this is all a weird, like free love thing. Cause it's like, Hey, if it's good for you, might be good for your stepsister. You know, the whole, it's a beef for drama. Right. right. And he's rich. And if you look at pictures of him, like I'm looking at a picture of Percy Shelley right now. And he's, he's a very, he's a poet. He's one of the romantics. They, they call him the romantics because they had radical political ideas. They were obviously into, you know, if, if you can't be with the one you love, then love the one. <laughs> love the one you're with. Love the one you're with. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. So what happens is, even though Percy eventually marries uh, Mary, um, obviously William Godwin is not cool with any of this. So the guy who is like a radical feminist doesn't want his daughter and his stepdaughter ruined, ru- quote unquote ruined, which was what they called a woman who uh, her virginity was lost before marriage. So this is when the rubber meets the road, the political radical feminist, uh, William Godwin's like, yeah, well, that's good enough for your kids, but not for mine, which I think is funny. Well, I, and I think, too, I mean, the, he, you can be a feminist and realize that you know, your children are are going to be uh, put in harm's way because of the way the current culture is. And also seeing that, you know, maybe some of these guys just saying we're using, you know, the political uh, tumult of the time to take advantage. So just and, like the guys in the 1960s. Right, he did, he didn't he realized that oh they're all like oh yeah free love it's the concept man and really it's cool it, baby puff puff give it's just just a way to take advantage. Well, these guys are all rich at least, so I mean nobody's in. Impo- <laughs> so that makes it you know, okay. <laughs> so at least the girls are getting fed. Yeah, um, but n- nice sugar daddy. <laughs> so in 1816, they run off uh, to Geneva, Switzerland. Right. 1816 is known as the year without a summer. And this, this is because a volcanic winter event was caused by the massive 1815 eruption of Mount Tambora in the Dutch East Indies, which was the largest eruption in at least 1,300 years at the time. And so they, they called it, uh, I, mean, I mean, the world was already in part of a, a little ice age that happened in the, started in the 14th century and had been going on for a few centuries where the earth was cooler at that time anyway, but then when you have the volcanic winter because of the all of the ash in the air. Yeah, blacking out the sun. Out, there, was a, there was a major food shortage across the Northern Hemisphere. They called it the poverty year, and they also called it 1800 and froze to death. That was, <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, 1800 and froze to death. 1800 and froze to death. I mean, I mean that, that's kind of funny, but I, I mean, a lot of people died. Uh, because of that whole thing. Okay, so that part's not. Yeah, funny. that part sucks. But you know, <laughs> but the tagline's good. So in June 1816, incessant rainfall 
uh, I think Mary calls it a wet, ungenial summer. And so they're all hanging out in uh, Lake Geneva, Switzerland, not Lake, not Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, which would be totally sweet. Yeah, and instead of, instead of frolicking uh, in the forest like fairies, the, these romantics had to turn away from nature and go inside because <laughs> f- it was just <laughs> so horrible outside. Frolic indoors. Which these and a frolic indoors, which these guys which were already probably doing. naked. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> of course. Totally. I mean, so, that's how all the best frolicking <laughs> exactly. occurs. Well, the thing is, if you're not frolicking naked, you're doing something wrong. Um. <laughs> so okay, and so it's it's Mary Shelley, Percy Shelley, Lord Byron, and uh, <laughs> Doctor John William Polidori, who's Lord Byron's doctor, and they have to stay indoors at Villa Diodati. I don't know if I'm saying it right. Um, but that's where they stayed at Villa Diodati near Lake Geneva and they're having a Swiss holiday and they got to spend most of that wet ungenial summer indoors and one night Lord Byron says let's all write a ghost story right so they can they can huddle around the fire and tell ghost stories it does sound fun yeah. I mean it does Lord Byron does kind of sound fun to me I'm sorry and I love She Walks in Beauty that's one of my favorite poems. Um, uh, so he knew how to do it. Yeah, well, of course he knew how to do it. Like, because he did it. <laughs> he, he knew did, how to. He did it with Mary again and again and again and again. And again, and again. <laughs> he did it with Mary. With everyone. He did it with Percy. He did it with Dr. Polidori. He did it with Claire Claremont. He got her pregnant. So, I mean, Lord Byron knew how to party. And uh, they, they were <laughs> right. all doing it in Switzerland. <laughs> And I'm doing it good. <laughs> yeah. And, and they had a great time that summer. So, uh, and uh, nobody's saying that these guys aren't incredibly talented with flamboyant, beautiful, you know, words and stuff like that. But they're also pigs. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right. <laughs> sure. But it's just like out of that summer, that ghost story contest comes, you know, one of the most famous uh, horror stories of all time. Frankenstein. Right. Is that so Mary ah, Frankenstein. <laughs> Dr. Frankenstein. It's yeah. I it's Igor. Um <laughs> so Mary's idea is this idea of, of bringing someone back to life and then it's horrific. You know, so that that's her her inspiration is this story that became Frankenstein. Um, meanwhile, Lord Byron works on a story about a like a vampire and then Dr. Polidori uses that as inspiration to write his own work in 1819, The Vampire, V-A-M-P-Y-R, which becomes, you know, one of the biggest inspirations for Dracula. So from that weekend, from that sex-filled ghost story party weekend, (laughs) we got Frankenstein and Dracula, which is pretty Pop culture was forever changed. Right. Which means we should all probably go to Switzerland to change the world. And frolic. Follow their example. <laughs> that's how they do it. Gosh. I think that's how they do it. And they're probably all, you know, <sighs> it's obviously these guys are hedonists. The romantics were hedonists. Uh, well, they had a different, you know, they were a lot of more atheists. They illustrate this really in um, the movie Gothic. If you guys have seen that oh, yeah. the movie Gothic, it's Julian Sands, uh, who you guys might recognize from the classic film Warlock. He is the warlock. Uh, he's also the he's also the guy that cuts up uh, Sherilyn Fenn in boxing uh, Helena, and Julian Sands plays a you know a wonderful Lord Byron. Gabriel Byrne uh, is Percy Shelley, 
and Natasha Richardson is Mary Shelley. She's the one that died in that skiing accident that was married to, oh, I've got a very peculiar set of skills. Uh, Liam Neeson. That's who I'm thinking of. <laughs> a very particular Aww. set of skills. Sorry. The Taken movies were okay. Uh, and it's her death is sad. Uh, but she did a great, a great job yeah. in Gothic. Now, just a tangent, uh, the cover for Gothic shows this little gremlin-like character on top of Natasha Richardson. And it's a play on the nightmare, which we just talked we, we yes. talked about that oh. painting in an episode uh, a few right. weeks ago about incubi yes. and succubi. On the succubus and the succubi. And so that movie poster is a play on that painting. That's pretty cool. So Gothic is obviously a very fictionalized account, um, but it's a pretty fun movie. If you like 1980s British people walking around uh, doing a lot of talking in beautiful scenery. That's the kind of thing. <laughs> if you're into that. That's the genre. British people walking around and talking. <laughs> that, well, that's a, there's, a certain, there's a certain kind of person that likes that kind of movie. And if, it's true. And if you think that British you know, stuff is... If you, if you don't like PBS, like Masterpiece Theater, don't bother with Gothic. But that, that's the kind of film it is. And it's great. I enjoyed it. But that's, that's the kind of, that's the launching point. Now, she spends the next, I mean, the next couple of years of her life, uh, 1816 to 1818, when Frankenstein is published, um, she spends it, you know, they, they try to have some kids. She, she finally has Percy Florence Shelley, and then, ha- you know, they finally end up having a child in 1818, and he survives, Percy Florence Shelley. So that's nice. So, Yay. You know, so... But, I mean, you read about Mary Shelley, and you realize why bringing humans back to life is important to Mary. I mean, she had a, she had a child that only lived 11 days, and in her journal, you know, she writes things like, I got up, I read, fed the baby, and she didn't even name the kid yet because she was so worried the kid was going to die, so she didn't want to name him. And then the next day, like in the journals, like, found baby dead. That's and it's so just like, sad. oh, God. So, I mean, that's an oversimplification of that, you know, the novel is some kind of wish fulfillment of being able to bring the dead back to life. But it's something that's on her mind. Of course, right. it's something horrible. That, and she, I mean, this is, she's not even like 20 years old when this stuff happens. Yeah. So, mortality, I mean, first, so much mortality. Yes, that first child dies and she's 16. So, we talk about a teenage girl. You know, you say like, oh, a teenage girl wrote this. Number one, she's a well-educated teenage girl. I mean, she's not as educated as Lord Byron or Percy Shelley, who have, have eaten, they have Oxford, they've got, you know, the Oxbridge education of the upper, upper echelon of British society. I mean, but she still has good schooling and stuff, because she's still not a pauper or anything like that. Even if her dad's a poor writer, he's still well-respected. So... What's amazing, too, is that, you know, the most famous work out of that weekend comes from the person who was educated the least, the youngest. But she, as far as life experience, you know, by that point, she already lost two children. So as far as emotional maturity, you'd expect that you have to have some kind of emotional maturity to face down that kind of stuff. And her father, too, uh, knew a lot of uh, the scientists at the time. And so she was well aware of the hunt for for cures um, and you know something called uh, galvanism 
which was freaking a lot of people out at that time. Um, uh, Luigi uh, Galvani. Luigi Galvani. Oh, uh, well, yeah. He Luigi. was able to. He was able to to activate um, frogs dead the dead frogs muscles leg muscles uh through um electrical stimulation of the nerve and then caused the he hooked up to a battery yeah and and caused the the legs to kick and so people were really uh captivated by this you know so much so that that they would actually do this with humans too which i find just hor <laughs> it, it's 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 just horrible to think about that they would right. execute someone and then the freshly executed corpse uh they would try to reanimate <sighs> it with electrical impulses and you know one guy they actually you know were able to activate his jaws oh, his jaws no. moving around yeah. and and one of his eyes opens back up and you know people thought oh my god you're really bringing this person back to that's life that's horrifying they didn't really understand that it was just you know a, a mechanism uh, triggering the muscles to move you know and and you could easily make that mistake if, if you saw that Today, you know, it would just be so horrifying. The problem with Galvani, though, is that in Italy, now you couldn't get a fresh dead body because you'd have to get it from the pol you'd have to get it from the police. It'd have to be somebody's executed because no family would let their dead. You know, that's not a Catholic burial to be, get an electric. You know, an electrode put up your butt and then your you know your fingers activated or whatever. Did they really put it up? No, their I don't know. But that is what. That, that, <laughs> okay, I I was I I thought it was. You were giving us something technical well, the there. Thing, it, this it was is an educational <laughs> program, Mike. <laughs> it it yes. was fairly popular to put electrodes in animals. Like, this <sighs> would be something that people would watch. They'd put the electrodes, they'd hook the batteries up to animals, and one of the things it does talk about is sometimes the animals would poop when they the electrodes was, were attached. So that's and, and that's not a joke or anything. Like that. That's what they talk about. Okay, there's your educational um, fact for the day. Yes. No, so that's, one of them. That, the thing is, this is what people paid money to watch. So that's how, that's what you do in a world without TV. In a world without Netflix, you pay money to watch dead animals poop. Uh, when live animals would do it for free. <laughs> and they do all the time. But, okay, so, but they couldn't get uh, these, these bodies in Italy where Galvani was working because the, the Italians beheaded all of the people they executed. So the Italians beheaded them. Oh. So they, what are you gonna? You can't bring a beheaded person back to life or whatever. So it was the English uh, that they had to get bodies from, and so. Oh, yeah. And um, wait a second, though. I I was reading a little bit about this too. That, that they would um, they they would even try it with some of the beheaded bodies to just get them to sit up. Oh man, you know, headless and and all you know just. Can you? Just, uh, uh, no. So, so they they did they did work a little bit with the with the beheaded uh, bodies as well. <laughs> oh, which oh, is gosh. Can you imagine it's like checking nasty. that out, and being like, "All right, guys, let's." Because the thing is, first of all, imagine how that smells, and you're gonna you're gonna pump electricity through it. Now, this is this is something they really get into. Like, there's this this is 1970s like two part TV miniseries about Frankenstein, and that was the first time I, I'd seen that when I saw it as a kid. That they showed uh, the frog or whatever with the legs kicking and everything. And then they showed that. And what was that called? I believe that was Frankenstein, the untold story. And uh, the other thing they would show is uh, 
like a hand uh, moving. So they, you know, they have a, they'd have a hand cut off, and they could h- hook up the electrode to it, and then the fingers would move. And so that was Dr. Frankenstein saying that, hey, I know how to do this. Mm. And, and they showed the experimentation before you know they they created the creature. And that was also one of the first Frankenstein's I watched where the Frankenstein could, like the creature could talk. And that also used the um, the framing device. So in the original novel, we'll get into real quick. The framing device is that there is a ship going in the Arctic Ocean. I believe it's, the, yeah, oh, so there's a ship yeah. in the Arctic mm-hmm. Ocean and they encounter the creature up there. And the creature tells this guy a story and he's writing it all down in letters. He encounters the creature and he encounters Frankenstein. I'm sorry, let me go back. He encounters Frank- Frankenstein who had chased the creature down up there. And Victor, Victor Frankenstein. Frankenstein. And, and we, 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 should, we should clarify here that a lot of people, when you hear Frankenstein, they think of the monster, Frankenstein's monster. But, um, you know, really Frankenstein is about Victor Frankenstein and his, his, his hubris. To, to try to uh, try to defeat death and his punishment for that. I mean, that's why it's called the modern day Prometheus because Prometheus uh, took fire from the gods, just like Victor Frankenstein was trying to take the secret of life from God uh, and conquer death. And uh, so, yeah, it's a common misconception when you hear Frankenstein to, to think of the monster. And actually, Mary Shelley purposely doesn't name Frankenstein. So when they first had a, a Frankenstein play that came out in the, the 1820s, Fra- the, the monster is just listed as a dash. The name of the monster is just listed as a dash. So just like she didn't name her child who had died, Frankenstein doesn't name his creation. And that's, I mean, that's a, a, a stretch a little bit. But anyway, the framing device, when you talk about the hubris, the framing device is of a ship which is trying to, you know, get into the Arctic Circle or whatever, they run into Victor Frankenstein where he tells him the story and the idea is the captain of the ship eventually learns that the life of his men is not worth getting to the Arctic Circle and he learns to get rid of his own hubris and his own ego and turns around. Like that's the lesson he learns from Frankenstein when Frankenstein tells him the story. And they, that um, miniseries also was the first time I was introduced to that part because I didn't read the book until high school. So I had seen all of the Frankenstein movies that had come out, even like the Sting version with Sting as Dr. Frankenstein. <laughs> and, uh, you know, The Bride. Which, Who Wendy loves. <laughs> Sting's just he's a good he's guy. Looking, right, and Sting's like in his early 60s or whatever, and he's still, like, he's kept it up. Yeah, he's so, taking good care of himself. Yeah, he's working. I salute he's him t- for that. <laughs> he's, he's, his tantric exercises work. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the first movie that kind of introduced that idea that electricity bringing things back, not just in like in the in the original 1931 version, you see the lightning come down and he presses the switch or pulls that switch and the, the monster comes alive and you know that he uses electricity. But the idea that scientists had uh, the thought of reanimating life through electricity was for I first saw that in that, that miniseries. And it's kind of want, want to get to it because it, it shows that whole thing that people used to watch with the, with the, with the frogs and the animals and then the, the beheaded people, those classy oh, Italians gosh. are going to do that. So there's a guy named Giovanni Aldini. And Giovanni Aldini, he's taking his example from Luigi Giovanni 
And so what he 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 tells people that if you give me a dead body, I'm going to bring him back to life. Oh, come on. George Foster in 1803 is then executed in London. Now, London law or English law was they had to hang for a full hour before they could uh, be taken down because they have to be shown, you know, the, the people have to see the, you know, the, the wages of their, the wages of their crime. And in 1752, in 1752, the English even make it part of the law. They try to scare people even more. They're like, hey, if we execute you, we can give your body to science. The, it's the, the Murder Act of 1752 is uh, said they're going to dissect the bodies, animatized is what they called it, to inflict further terror and a peculiar mark of infamy. So that was uh, that's that's how they would you know dissuade people from committing crime because not only were we going to hang you until you were dead, we're going to cut you up, give your body a sign. Wow. And uh, well, Aldini, he comes to buy the body. He comes to buy this George Foster in 1803. And he's the nephew of Luigi Galvani. And so he thinks, you know, he, he takes his uncle's ideas a step further after, after his uncle dies. And he's like, you know what? Frogs can move. Can't sheep, pigs, cows, oxen, can't they all do it? The animals can do it. And he's been, he's been practicing it. And he's like, I got to get, you know, I got to get on people. I got to bring him back to the University of Bologna. I'm sorry, Bologna. That's the, he actually, he actually was... <laughs> I like the University of Bologna better. Yeah, yeah. I think we I think there's a lot of paranormal people we know who have their degrees from the from the University of Bologna. That's right. But what happens is he plugs Foster in. He attaches probes and electrodes to his arms and legs, chest and forehead. Starts the battery right away that and this is in his words. The jaw began to quiver. The adjoining muscles were horribly contorted and the left eye opened. So people were watching there, and that makes it look like he's coming back to life. His eye opened. And this guy had already been, I mean, he'd been hung for an hour, and then he'd been, he'd been, put, on the, he'd been put on the cart or whatever, taken all the way to Italy uh, for this to be continued. And it took hours. He's plugged in. He's... And people even think that they get an inhalation. People think that they see he inhales. And they're like, holy crap, this works. But... The battery runs out and the body stops moving completely. So people kind of realize that, well, um, you can't, I mean, the electricity makes that was the trick. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But without the electricity, nothing works. Like it does. The electricity doesn't just restart the human. It doesn't reignite the fire of life. Also, uh, the person is just twitching and not actually. (laughs) He comes back and goes, Hey dudes, what's going on? Hey man. Well, and here's here's something that I think that people uh, who haven't read the Frankenstein book, or even if they've just watched the Kenneth Branagh movie or other modern movies, they don't realize that the Frankenstein in Mary Shelley's book, the Frankenstein's monster in Mary Shelley's book, like quotes uh, John Milton. He quotes politics of the time. He's really he, he's self educated because um, he runs he runs away, and then he he's able to find this little hovel. Um, where he's able to to watch people, um, like neighbors, <laughs> as as he he's sees a peeping them. Frank, and then yeah, he's <laughs> a peeping Frank, and and then he also has he also has all these books that 
I don't know exactly, I can't remember where he gets them, but he has all these classics, you know, um, and so he's reading all the classics and he's like, I'm ready to be a person now. Yay. And then he comes out uh, and it doesn't work out. So well, no, well. but the idea, I mean, the, <laughs> and people see what he looks like. Right, Because the thing is, he's well, he educates himself. And, and this part's a little ridiculous in, in Mary Shelley's book, because um, the idea that he can teach himself how to read, teach himself how to talk by listening to what this family that, that, that he peeping Franks for months, he teaches himself how to talk. And eventually he teaches himself how to read. And then he, he's reading John Milton and quoting it like a genius. You know, that, that, that's the romantic coming through. That's Mary Shelley's romantic influences, you know, coming through it. And it's, it's not meant to be, like when we think about Frankenstein, it's, it's not meant to be verite. It's not meant to be a real life kind of thing, obviously. That this, you know, because Victor Frankenstein brings him back to life. And it's funny, we are just talking about electricity. In the original version of the novel which she had to publish, number one, anonymously. So people, so people would, would buy it and be interested in it, not that, it was written, not, because it wasn't written by a woman, which is why she published it anonymously. Yeah. Uh, in the, so that they wouldn't know. In the know. original version, it's like maths and alchemy that hmm. he uses to make the monster come back. It's not until her 1832, uh, she revises it to include the electricity. So I, I never knew that before because that's the only version I've read. I haven't read the original. So the only version I've read is the 1832 revisions where she adds the electrical portion to it. And that's what, I mean, Hollywood has obviously, uh, you know, hung their hat on the whole electricity idea and that, that runs through every version of, Franken, of Frankenstein that the monster is brought back to life through electricity. Um, but also in the Hollywood versions, the monster's a mute, like that original 1931. It's like, rawr, rawr, rawr. like you, remember, remember when Saturday Night Live had like a Christmas card from Tonto, Frankenstein, and, oh, I can't remember the third, but they had this Christmas card, and it was like John, John Lovitz is Tonto, Phil Hartman is Frankenstein, and then they had a third person, I can't remember, but it was all people who would have no command of English. And the idea was like they're singing Christmas songs to it and it's like rawr, 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 and it's, you know it's ridiculous or think about young frankenstein when peter you know that that whole that whole he goes through putting on the ritz and then peter boyle comes out like <laughs> putting on the ritz you know that that whole thing that so funny because gene wilder uh his He's so classy when he's doing the dance and everything, and then the monster just like put on the red, and it's the funniest. Like you watch, I can watch that a hundred times, and it still makes me laugh. Um, <laughs> but it's that idea that the monster is a, like he's strong, powerful, but an idiot or can't speak. And in Mary Shelley's novel, the monster is so erudite, erudite. How do I yeah. say that word? Er erudite, <laughs> erudite, erudite. I like that. <laughs> Your face is a redite, Mike. Hey. Yeah, it's true. I said I also said whores divorce for years, and uh, <laughs> I said uh, debacle too. Because if you never hear people say it, you just read it, you're like, well, we got ourselves into a real <laughs> yeah, debacle with this debacle. one. You're an <laughs> you're an idiot, Mike. Uh, a debacle of whores divorce. A debacle of erudite whores divorce. No, so the. So the thing is, in the original novel, Mary Shelley really portrays him. And, and, and this is where, like, hubris is one example of, of the novel. And that's the one that we use most, 
when we talk about it. Uh, Frankenstein, the doctor, Victor, he's overreaching his power as a human being. But also, I mean, it's a radical political idea at the time, too, in that Frankenstein is this, you know, creation. He's controlled by his creator. He's obsessed with uh, finding his creator. He's obsessed with making his way in the world. He's obsessed with learning something about himself. And he's denied every opportunity because he's horrific. Well, right. And he, he, wants, he wants what we all want. And I think Mary Shelley, you know, made him so erudite. So to, to shed light on the fact that, you know, people are still ruled by what someone looks like rather than the content of their character. And because the Frankenstein monster, you know, he he's aspiring to greatness and purity and nobody lets him do that. You know, they put him in this box as this monster. Well, he is a monster, though. He kills Victor's brother. He kills Victor's best friend. Okay, hang on. (laughs) Hang on. He's forced into that, I think, where he's where he's like trying to be something else and nobody will ex- accept him as that and he's like all right then i'll just kill your family like, <laughs> uh, all right you want me to be a monster i'll be a monster you're gonna love so it sad i think so, this is an example though of mary shelley using this as a political warning and it's funny because frankenstein is used in uh slavery discussions and slavery arguments for in the 1820s and the really? 1830s in fact uh, Frankenstein's monster in some, uh, as they were doing the uh, like illustrations and stuff like that, they portray Frankenstein's monster as black. And wow, even though England had uh, not allowed, you know, they they took away the legality of importing slaves in 1808, they still had the, the big conversation was still about slaves in the colonies because they had Jamaica and everything, you know, all these places where slaves are still allowed, and. They would use Frankenstein and the fact that he committed violence as, I mean, that was just the example they gave. They were like, hey, these people, you know, have the minds of adults, or I mean, have the, have the bodies of adults and stuff like that, but they still have the minds of children. So if we give them freedom, then, you know, they're going to turn on us. And so people used, and they're just going to be like Frankenstein and his monster. And it's that idea, too, that, you know, I don't think Mary Shelley had slavery in mind, even though they were all abolitionists. Like the sh- Lord Byron, yeah. Mary Shelley, her father, like they were all very heavily abolitionist. Um, I-, I think some of the parallels she was trying to make was more to like the poor people, the impoverished, the the hoi polloi. You know that the thing is when they aristocracy, rich bastards like Victor Frankenstein take advantage or leave them behind, um, they're going to get violent about it. Right, and they're go- they're going to fulfill the roles. That they're forced and into. And she, uh, I mean, she had the French Revolution off with their head. You know, I mean, Robespierre and the Reign of Terror. She had that entire period of history to draw from that sometimes that violent retribution happens. I mean, and then Marx obviously takes that for his own uh, when he's like, you know, the workers rise up, kill the man. Uh, his deal. So, you know, the thing about Frankenstein is it works on a lot of levels. And, I mean, Mary Shelley is a... <laughs> By the time it actually comes out, but it publishes, she's 20 years old, but she starts writing it when she's 18. And that is tremendous um, yeah. accomplishment for anybody. That's amazing. We talked about some of the people that inspired, you know, Mary Shelley a little bit. And we talked about, you know, Galvini and Aldani. 
Uh, and, you know, the poor poor George Foster, who had the uh, electrodes <laughs> shoved in him, and Goodness. people had to watch oh. him die over and over again. What a horrible, like, thing to do to a yeah. <laughs> corpse. Even, I mean, even a convicted murderer, like, that. So you think, if, when death isn't enough. Right, exactly. But we take Frankenstein as an example of hubris, um, and, you know, that's when we talk about modern stuff, that's always, you know, they say it like the tech people and everything, like, that's that's supposed to be their lesson, like... Well, if we, if if we don't watch out where we go with technology, it will destroy us. Like Frankenstein's monster destroyed Victor, ruined his life. Right. Well, like uh, yeah, like uh, like Grey Goo, <laughs> like like uh, with um artificial intelligence too. That that's gonna take over. Yeah. Well, that's. I mean, it's St- Stephen. Haw- they always have yeah. some warning in Stephen. Haw- that was Stephen Hawking's always like, I give them the warning. You know. Right. Like, it's always Stephen Hawking saying, "Be careful who you talk to in the universe," because every time I. A couple of cultures have clashed. Uh, the one with superior technology always destroys it. And you'd be careful of artificial intelligence because they'll, deci- they'll decide man is not worthy. Like, oh. oh. Right. And, and, and be careful of nanotechnology because it'll turn us all into great And goo. of course we trust him because he's like the <laughs> smartest guy on the planet. So I mean, you right. have to trust him. Except that well, he is now yes. dead. So he, yeah. he was the, he's that. the smartest corpse <laughs> on the planet. And <laughs> but we can reanimate him. We can we, make him well, that's better and can we, stronger. Can we, sh- can we shove an electrode up Stephen Hawking's butt and bring the smartest oh, man back? Too soon. Oh, he, oh, he would have laughed at that. Come, he would have laughed like this. Ha, oh, you, ha, ha. you know. Oh, oh my God. Well, you're editing this, oh, Wendy. Come on. So we can make fun. Can, if we, you can make oh, like, Mike seem like out. a nicer if guy. If we can make fun of Stephen Hawking, who can we make fun of? He's a he, he, he atheist anyway. Like, he cares. <laughs> Just because he's an atheist doesn't mean that he's not watching us That's right true. now. He, he's probably in the afterlife going, damn <laughs> it. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. No, he gets his. I thought it was all he over. Gets his voice back. It keeps going on and no. on. That stupid wheel of right, life. He just has to hang out with his first wife in the afterlife. Oh, nice. Hey, I'm not the guy that married my nurse. <laughs> oh, man. So. Boy, this is really. Okay, we're not, we're not worried about. Here. We're not talking about Doctor Hawking. <laughs> we're off the we rails. Are talking, what we are talking about Frankenstein's though is that people are still trying to bring the dead back to life. In fact, number one, we've got this uh, Italian surgeon. So it seems like the Italians who are ones who always want to bring people back to life. And he wants to do it in uh, Ingolstadt, in, I think in Bavaria, where uh, Frankenstein originally studied, where it took place. Um, let's see, what's his full name here? Dr. Canavero. Dr. Canavero even says, he even uses Frankenstein to introduce his idea of the world's first full human head transplant yes oh, that, that concept is wow my dream to perform the first head transplant and start the greatest revolution in the history of mankind no less and <laughs> uh the, okay, the dream so, is a fast becoming a reality oh god <laughs> okay so this is not a new idea though uh in the 80s uh starting in the 80s uh there was a uh, doctor, Dr. Robert White in in the United States who was performing head transplants on dogs and then later monkeys. And he proposed and he also patented uh, a technology for doing a, a human head transplant. What? So this is, this wow. is not new. This has been going on for a long time. I, 
Yeah, I mean, he, you know, I don't think he was ever able to, yeah, he was never able to perform uh, surgery on a human, but he did do it with animals. And he would take the head of one rhesus monkey and transplant it onto the head of another. And then see see how long and there's actually film of this too uh see how long uh the animal would last and you know uh you know he was able to keep them alive for for uh for you know probably about 45 minutes i think that was the limit but uh you know like that's really gross you can watch film of you know seeing seeing the monkey wake up on another body and open its eyes and oh, stuff like that. Right. And so, so. it's probably at that at that yeah. point it's probably just reacting out of sheer like or it's not it's probably not even it's just right. it's, it's just like nerves. It's just those galvanized it's just those galvanized nerves looking around just like George Foster opening his eye and breathing. Yeah, could could be. I I don't know, but I just wanted to share that that uh that research has been going on for a while and it just made news recently with this Italian well, doctor. Also, too, there's that whole, um, the Japanese scientist, like the Japanese Dr. Mengele, what was it, Sector 237? Or I can't remember the, like, the name of it. But they did a ton of transplanted limbs on soldiers, on prisoners of war and things. And of course, Dr. Mengele, you know, he'd like, he transplanted a few limbs himself to see what he could do because he had... The carte blanche, and they had the humans to play with, so they did, and none of it worked. It's all everybody died. It was all a horror show and absolutely disgusting and horrifying. And so, I mean, people have been trying to do this for a long time. I mean, that's the whole basic. Remember Futurama? They have all those heads in jars. That's the idea. Like Leonard Nimoy's head in the jar, <laughs> Richard Nixon's head in the jar becomes president in the year three thousand. Right. Um, you know, and that's what they said with Ted, like Walt Disney's head in the jar. Uh, they say that in real life, Walt Disney was frozen. They have his head. But that's just a rumor. But Ted Williams, the baseball player, like that's not a rumor. <laughs> like his head's somewhere in Arizona. And when I when I go right. into cryogenic <laughs> freezing, my head's going to be somewhere. I was just going to ask. I thought you said you wanted to keep your head in a jar or something. Hell yeah, I want to keep my head. In, I'll be dead. What do I care? Um, you know, like I until they attach you to some other body, right? And then I mean. But the thing is, like any brain matter or whatever. Anyway, <laughs> but just, what if it's like a I dolphin think, body or something? <laughs> <laughs> well, that'd be awesome that I can swim and dolphins are already it could be Arnold it could be Arnold oh, okay, there I, could there finally, I could finally be in the body I deserve instead of this <laughs> instead of this fat Polish loud ass <laughs> oh my gosh so yeah it would be great but anyway so, so that, that human head technology and then there's one more company who's trying to do it they're trying to use stem cells though so this company, Philadelphia-based BioQuark, is trying to inject stem cells into the spinal cords of people who have declared clinically brain dead. The subjects will also receive an injected protein blend. So I don't know if they use pea protein, whey protein, mm. what kind of protein they use? <laughs> mm. protein. Yeah, these protein Delicious shakes. Protein I hope it's the blend. chocolate shakes. Those taste great. <laughs> electrical nerve stimulation. Electrical nerve stimulation. So we're going back to Galvini's stuff. Yeah, galvanism. 250 years ago. And laser therapy directed at the brain. So they put lasers in your brain. The ultimate goal is to grow new neurons and spur them to connect to each other and thereby bring the brain back to life. This is June 1st, 2017. So uh, this is just last year, this BioQuark company. And originally, they were supposed to be doing research in India. 
But then the Indian government's like, what do you know? <laughs> Get India's out of here. I, I don't know. I, I, I like the idea of the protein blend and the lasers in my brain. I think I'm yeah, okay with I don't that. know about this electrical stimulation, <laughs> even though this is full disclosure here. I did, I did buy that belt with the abs, you know, that, that oh. ab belt, the, the abdominizer, <laughs> like back like 15 uh, years ago. Yeah. I thought I'd give it a shot where it just, you know, electrically stimulates your stomach so you have abs while you're sitting on the couch. You can, I've seen the yeah. infomercial. <laughs> the abdominizer. It was called the abdominizer. Well, it was the, I mean. Do you still have no, it? No, I threw that out. <laughs> I think I could, I could use some abdominizing, no, Mike. Come on, I'm desperate. My girlfriend at the time was like, she, I don't know why she believed it. She's like, wow, that looks like a really great idea. And I'm like, I I don't think so. She's like, we should get it. Oh, sure. It was all her idea. I like the idea of getting a six pack while sitting on the couch watching TV. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Come on, me too. who doesn't? <laughs> me too. And the, the commercial made it look so good. Like that fat just melted right off. And so, um, yeah, but I tried it out and it kind of stung. And yeah, it, it hurts. Yeah. And so I, I never got any, I never got any real uh, results from six pack out oh. of it. Oh, I, I got six volts, not a you six like, pack. Oh. Hey. <laughs> Aww. You're like, it hurts too much. I can't, I can't pay attention to my show. <laughs> I can't watch my show. <laughs> I gotta take the belt off. I can't off. be a I got a little twinge. So huge. <laughs> From the abdominizer. How am I ever going to get a six pack now? <laughs> so here's the thing. I mean, so these guys think that in Latin America, they'll be able to do their studies too. Like they think that life is cheap enough in Latin America that they can make this happen. This BioQuark company. And they're like, no, they're totally serious. But, I mean, scientists are like, this is not going to work. Even though, I mean, stem, stem cells have been shown in, like, children with brain damage and stuff to, you know, the neurons are starting to connect with each other again. And lasers in the brain. It sounds yeah. pretty cool. I was going to say, that sounds like some real, that sounds like some <laughs> real sciencey business right there. <laughs> so, anyway, 200 years of Frankenstein. It, it, it's inspiring us today, you know, just as much as it did people. I mean, like they said People were writing about it in the 1820s. People were using it in their political debates in, in the 1830s and 40s. Obviously, the movies came out in the 1930s, and we use Frankenstein and Victor Frankenstein and his quest to end death uh, as an example of human science overreach and man's hubris, I mean, fairly frequently. Hmm. So this 18-year-old this girl came up with something pretty freaking sweet. Yeah. Happy birthday, Frankenstein yeah, monster. 200, 200 years in, uh, and there's also a new Frankenstein movie, and that's not a Frankenstein. It's a movie about Mary Shelley. That'd be interesting. Uh, coming out, coming out in a couple weeks. It's called Mary Shelley. So if you guys see a movie called Mary Shelley, it's about the chick we're talking about here, guys, and it looks pretty cool. And so it'll be fun. And I, I'd like to see how they keep to that night where they're all partying in, you know, Lake Geneva in 1816, in that year without a summer. And I'd like to see how they portray that as compared to Gothic's version. Um, which is obviously yeah. romanticized and everything's crazy and everybody has uh, hallucinations and things like that. <laughs> and, and, and British people, you know, walking around talking. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> Sometimes frolicking. <laughs> those Brits, they're always walking around Brits, talking. Those Brits walking around talking, um, well... <laughs> Who do they think they know, are? The thing is, you know, Dr. Pod, right, Lord, By you know, Lord Byron and... Uh, Percy Shelley and Mary Shelley in particular had a weird kind of relationship going on. In fact, if even if you Google like history's, uh, I'm sorry, literature's greatest threesomes, that's like the number one that comes up. And so all these weird love triangles and free love, well, sometimes it's just too many people involved. There's too many, there's too many cooks in that love kitchen. <laughs> and so 
Uh, this particular Sunspot song we're talking about this week uh, is inspired when, you know, not necessarily by free love, but but the idea that uh, sometimes in a group when there's, you know, three or more people put together uh, and two forces become diametrically opposed to each other and start pushing the whole group uh, apart. And this song is called Three Corners. You can't make it on your own, so you take away my only friend. I see the nothing you're pointing at my back, trying to take away my only friend I ever had. Reach for your guns, I'm ready for war. Fight to the death, let's settle the score. Try to take me down, I'll tear out your heart. Fight to Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. And we don't want to have too much hubris like Dr. Frankenstein, Wendy. No, we certainly don't. We want to make sure to thank our Patreon community, othersidepodcast.com slash donate. The awesome Patreons who we just hung out (laughs) with last Wednesday talked about ghosts in the hood. And so we'll be doing another Patreon hangout this month. Um, you'll get to meet some cool people, like maybe Dr. Ned, who is at the Patreon level where he gets a shout-out in every single episode. Yes. Thank you, Ned. Yeah, and thank you, everybody who's part of that community that helps keep the podcast flowing, helps with server costs, helps keep other side podcasts rolling over great topics like Mary Shelley and Frankenstein and the modern Prometheus and her great impact on science fiction on the world. So all you guys have a great impact on us and help what we do every single week. So if you guys want to be part of that very cool Patreon community, where do they find it? Othersidepodcast.com slash donate. Thanks again, everyone. Have a great week. And we would be Frankenstein's. Pull on the ring.